Welcome to Hattrick City on WXCI 91.7, Danbury's only all-hockey radio show. Uh, I know that some in our audience don't know the finer points of hockey. You want me to dummy you again? Hattricks, baby! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very impromptu episode of Hattrick. Today I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake. As always, joined by DJ Uncle Matt, who has a very, very awesome item with us. Uncle Matt here. There we go. Out here on the megaphone that we used last night. Yeah, it's been great using this thing. Um, I think it brought a lot of excitement to the arena, and I can tell you that it pissed off a lot of Carolina fans. So, you know... Uh, and I think the team heard me and heeded my instruction very well. And I've, I've suggested this uh, similar device to head coach Billy McCreary um, for his instruction. And uh, The billophone? Yes, the billophone. So, yeah, last night we were able to win a game 6-2 to two at home. It's the first one of hoping three for the weekend, knock on wood here. Um, tell us, Matt, what, what were you seeing from the Animal House? You know, from my perspective... Uh, Pat, I just think that it was it was really incredible to see the type of emotion that the fans brought and the players' response to it. And I think that that's ultimately um, what sports are all about. And I got to be really honest. Uh, I did see some complaints this morning. I woke up to some complaints from the uh, fan base from North Carolina. And I can tell you that I was a little disappointed because I felt like they were just as loud at their at their home rink. And they had just as many devices, noisemakers, as they, they like to call them, yeah. noisemakers. Um, so it was just a little disappointing to wake up and see that, you know, having had that type of, uh, that element used against them uh was kind of something that ruffled their feathers or yeah i know they they seem like the type to have like the double standard you know we can use noisemakers but you can't and it what? was ironic because you know they you know when the nhl started in uh carolina you know that's when tailgating started in the nhl and i thought that these fans would just be i thought they would have a little thicker skin than say the grimy binghamton fans <laughs> That uh, we encountered the last couple of uh, you know last couple of meetings with that team, but uh, I can tell you that there are a lot of great people from Carolina that came up. We spoke to a number of fans that had uh, just good things to say about the arena, good things to say about our fans, and good things to say about the league. So I think that's what it's all about at this level. We've got a fun league that. Uh, you know, the, the the players are playing for pride, and it was good to see uh, Carolina fans represent no matter what. Yeah, and, you know, with that being said, the on-the-ice product was nothing short of, you know, what everyone thought it would be going into this game. Um, you know, obviously Carolina's, you know, Tucker Firth opened the scoring there, making it a 1-0 game. McKittrick comes in later on in the game. Nets went in his first one of the playoffs, mind you. Um and so that that's your first period tied at one going into the second is really where the bulk of the scoring happened uh carolina on a four on four we were able to score there and then we also were able to respond to that as well from mckittrick again 
so he was able to net two goals on that night overall. Then he had his assist on the next goal uh, scored by Dowler to take that 3-2 lead that ultimately would be the game winner, so to speak. Um, later on, Ratcliffe comes in, opens it even more, 4-2. to two. Empty netter from Ojik right out of the box on a breakaway. And our boy, Amesbury, gets his second goal of the season, first point of the playoffs <coughs> off of a nice mistake from Hussey. He's going to come on the wraparound and really, just really tap it in. Really good mistake by Hussey. Really good mistake. Um, so really an awesome game for the fans, and just how we played was amazing, and I really hope we can carry that into tonight's game. And What are you expecting for tonight for Carolina? You know, I do think that they probably uh, can tighten up their game and fight back just a little bit, but I'm not really sure if that's going to be enough to overcome uh, some of the players that have awoken in the last couple of weeks for the hat tricks. I think it's going to be equally uh, difficult to play in the building, uh, especially with me using this bullhorn uh, and, and many other fans using bullhorns. So yeah. I, I do think that there's an opportunity now for the hat tricks to even the series, and we hope that's what happens. Yeah, and, you know, tonight is going to be nothing short of just an amazing atmosphere, um, same as last night. So, you know, if you're listening to this before the game, thank you for listening to this before the game. We have two great interviews for you, uh, one with... Fantastic interviews. I ran into Corey Anderson last night, who played with the Hattricks for a couple of seasons. Uh, he was back in town here checking out the championship uh, festivities, if you will, in Danbury. <laughs> And we also had a very special guest, a guy who's been a friend of Danbury Hockey for a while now, and he's also a former uh, Carolina Thunderbird from their 1989 championship team, uh, Doug the Thug Smith, the inspiration for both the Goon movies, uh, joins us in this episode of Hattrick City. So yeah, stay tuned, and uh, Matt, if you could do us a favor, ring the interview siren. Hey, this is Brennan Dallard, defenseman of the Danbury Hattricks, and you're listening to Hattrick City on WXCI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hattrick City. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake, as always, joined by DJ Uncle Matt. Today in the studio, we got the one and only Corey Anderson. Corey, thanks for coming up, and thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me, fellas. It's uh, fairly good to be back in Danbury, and so uh, pretty honored to have uh, be on the podcast. Love what you guys are doing with this, so happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's really great to have you here, Corey, but I must say that there's there's definitely a lot of times where I feel like uh, it would be nice to see you out there this year. You know what I mean? I almost think that you're going to come off the bench some nights. You know what I mean? I almost think that you're going to hop over the board sometimes. But, uh, you know, for those of you that are kind of just tuning into the hat tricks or uh, Corey Anderson is with us today, he beat came a hat trick in the very first season i think was that your first professional games in 2019 yep first first look at uh the pro life and yeah was... that was and but you didn't did you go to the sbhl that year were you, yeah so you did. yeah so i graduated manhattanville 2019 and then uh my first uh look at pros was i started out with the uh, huntsville havoc oh wow did training camp all that stuff and uh lucky enough to play an exhibition game with those guys and then uh got released and uh it was kind of funny how it kind of worked out too, because uh, Billy and then the uh, I forget his name again. He's the coach in uh, for Columbus, uh, Frenchy Frenchy name. Jerome Bouchard. Yeah, Bouchard. They had both reached out to me, um, talking about what they got going on and stuff like that. And then uh, I was getting ready to leave Huntsville, and uh, I hop in the office, and uh, 
Glenn DeTulio, the coach there, he, uh, I came in as like, hey, just, you know, out of your own personal opinion, like, obviously, like, I want to come back to the SP and do whatever it takes to get that to this level. And um, I said, coaching-wise, like, who would you recommend personally? And he goes, oh, Billy, without a doubt. So um, it was kind of, uh, you know, that helped that way. And then also, you know, going to school in this area also as well, that kind of helped make that decision a little bit easier. Yeah, really not too far away. We're, we didn't go to the same college, but our colleges are on the same road. Yeah. In, in in Anderson Hill Road there in uh, in Westchester County, um, but you're originally from Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield, yep, two hours north of LA there, so a good little spot in the middle of California. Something that we've talked about on this show previously when Kyle Gonzalez was here, and perhaps somebody else, uh, we 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 talked about how there is a lot of hockey talent over the last ten or fifteen years coming out of California. I actually mentioned a story that I wrote way back in 2010 for the New York Times about roller hockey. And at the time, there were a lot of really like high-level roller hockey players coming out of California. There was a kid named Itan Shivara. Do you know of that kid? No. Yeah, he, he played in the ECHL very briefly, but he was really like this roller hockey star. They had no place to put him. What was your kind of uh, entryway into hockey being a Californian? Yeah, it was kind of just randomly, too. So um, we moved... So we kind of did a little back and forth from Bakersfield to Maryland, back to Bakersfield. Um, when I was four years old, we finally settled our roots there. Um, but the friends my parents had made, um, all their kids were playing hockey. So it was like, hey, like we'll just, you know, let's toss them in two and stuff like that. And and kind of ironically, I was the last one of all my buddies to still be playing. But at that young age, I just I started. Everyone was playing roller at the time, right? So I was four and played that and then all of a sudden when I turned seven that year just everyone switched to ice wow. so like and obviously I come from a family no hockey history background whatsoever so I'm the first um but yeah so just I fell in love with it and I knew it was what I wanted to do and just stuck with it so how did it work for you I guess we talked about this with maybe Frankie McClendon a little bit yeah. as well uh, as Kyle Gonzalez but uh how did it work for you like how did you get into the kind of the established kind of hockey that you need to you know basically get recognized by a by a manhattanville yeah um i think just too i was lucky enough to have some uh very great coaches growing up and um a couple guys paul willett um he actually used to coach in the uh, the uhl with uh, new haven those guys yes um him and then also scott hay um those guys definitely um they helped me a lot as a kid because they can tell the passion i had for hockey and you know they were willing to invest their time to help me out and i'll forever be grateful for those guys for sure um so i think just be having the passion to do and work every day um it kind of got me that exposure too because uh will it he was able to help me get some exposure to um a major junior team the moose Jaw warriors out in the whl out there and so um got a got an invite to the camp and all that stuff got put on their protected list stuff like that and then uh you know it didn't work out there obviously and then so um when i was playing in the sjhl for notre dame um just kind of got on the radar for um manhattanville because the head coach is from saskatchewan so he came out and watched and you know fell in love with me and recruited me well so and that's how i ended up there who's the head coach now for who manhattanville uh now his name is dave turco it was arlen marshall um who recruited me he was the head coach he's now the assistant though at uh west point 
for D1. Yeah. The coach that I really knew well was, I want to say, Leventhal. Was that his name? Yep. Keith yeah, Leventhal. Keith Leventhal. Yeah, he's the, yeah. he's the original, the founder. Yeah. He was the AD for a bit when I was there. And, and uh, yeah. Danbury Hattrick's fans might know that Manhattanville College plays their games at Rye Playland in the old casino ice rink with yeah. probably about 200 seats in there yeah. if... <laughs> If there's 200 seats. If not, all bleachers mostly, but. I have been to Manhattanville games. I When I was going to school, I don't know if you know this guy. I always wanted to ask you this. Uh, when I was going to school, a big Manhattanville player was Neil Clark. He got two years of eligibility after Iona dropped their D1 program, and he just kind of moved up the road to Manhattanville. He ended up playing preseason games with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but... Uh, did you know him at all? Did no, you, no, never huh? had that interaction. So it's ironic that later today uh, we're going to have Doug Smith either on this show or on an upcoming show, but he'll be in, and he's in goon. He's in the second goon, Neil Clark, oh, is nice. the guy with the red helmet at the bashed and brutal thing where yeah, yeah. Uh, where they they do that. Oh, like, like the ice wars. Yeah, type like of the setup, ice like wars that. type of thing. He's the guy with the yeah, red yeah, helmet. Yeah, yeah and he okay. was. So like Manhattanville had a. You know they, they've had a program for a long time it seemed like you came out of there but i guess it took you going to play for notre dame which is another really well you know program that produced a lot of nhl guys probably yeah too, right? yeah. yeah absolutely i mean it was kind of funny how i, I ended up there too because um i think i said before so moose jaw was the reason i was up there in the first place and then uh you know after training camp and all that stuff they made the cuts whatever and i had my exit meeting and you know didn't make the roster and they said okay like well what are you going to do um and at the time too during the camp my dad and i actually went and toured notre dame beforehand just to check it out and as kind of an option thing whatever and um didn't think too much of it actually and then what are they called the hounds or the something? hounds yep yeah. the hounds there yep but uh and then the exit meeting when they asked me like uh uh, because I have my dad in there with me. I'm 16 years old at the time. Yeah. Like, this is a brand new world to me. You know, all, got all these coaches, GMs in front of me and stuff like that. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, oh, probably just go back home and uh, try to find some AAA hockey, whatever, and see where it works out. And my dad just pipes up and he goes, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go to Notre Dame. And I just <laughs> kind of looked wow. at him. I was like, all right, I guess we're going to Notre Dame. Yeah. So, um, But honestly, though, it was the best experience for sure. I, I'm forever for grateful for that place as well. Um, Do you know yeah. if there was anything that kind of stuck out to him? Was it like the schooling or anything they provided? You, no, like honestly, anyone that's ever been there, it's not much. Like you're driving through the middle of the prairies and all of a sudden you roll in this little town. It's a 200 people town, technically called a village and actually, but you got the, the town and the high school and that's it. And it's nothing fancy, but honestly, like I think just the history in itself, like you know you go into the arena anyone that's been there we have they have like the big wall of fame there everyone that's made it to yeah. the, the nhl I think i've seen a pic of that yeah to the nhl or um what's it called the uh, division one level as well so it's pretty cool and you know i was lucky to have some uh some great teammates out of there and made some lifelong friends uh morgan riley the defenseman for uh excuse me for toronto yeah he, uh, he had just went there the year before me but he was also at the moose jaw camp at the same time so wow. we uh we got to play together in moose jaw camp which was pretty fun he was an electric player he just dominated the whole ice um but also another teammate of mine um while i was there uh, hayden flurry um plays for tampa now he yeah was, he was my uh my teammate in midgets and also my last year uh justin kirkland who now plays for anaheim ducks yeah, he I was a like team that. he was a teammate as well so so, so, like, with Bakersfield, I wondered, if did you have any connection to the Condors, just as far as even a fan? or? 
Yeah. Oh, for the Condors. Yeah. yeah. That's that's honestly where I, I started to fall in love with hockey too. Like. Um, yeah. So we well, were, b- before we get into that, I just to set it up for the listeners. So the yeah. Bakersfield Condors actually believe it or not started out in a league that was almost similar to the fed way back in the old west coast hockey league mm-hmm. and now they've kind of gone up the ranks and they're you know they, they they were in the echl when the echl kind of had that big westward expansion at one point and now they're part of the ahl as the affiliate of the edmonton oilers so it really is kind of a story of a small club that grew and i was curious just to how the, uh, how much of it you were aware of and how, how deep into the condors you were oh yeah absolutely yeah, like i said um when i was a kid like when i first started getting into hockey and started to fall in love with it more and more we invested in season tickets and you know i was just you know i've always been just a student of the game i feel just like i just love watching and like that was probably some of the best advice i ever got was like just watch hockey like you can learn so much by just picking out a player and like watch their position if it's the same position you play whatever it is right and you just learn and educate yourself but uh yeah for the Condors too and just kind of watching them grow as a club and an organization as well I think it was big for the city as well and then uh, especially um, when they made that move to the east coast yeah like a lot of fans and stuff like that and um, it was good and it's kind of tough to see too because I don't know how it went reverse but for them to move up to the AHL and it kind of seems like they get less fans now but I think it's probably just more due to Obviously, in Bakersfield, everyone loves to see the fights, right? That's why yeah. a lot of a lot of people like to go to hockey games to watch the fights. And um, obviously, in the AHL, it's a little bit more skill and structure and stuff like that. So you don't see as a, that toughness as much. I feel so maybe that's a reason why. But I, honestly, I think it's so cool for you know for that organization to grow it to where it's become now and to be part of a, a great organization um, like Edmonton. Bakersfield, they were one of the first. Um kind of minor league teams to capitalize off social media not really so much social media but like doing a lot of crazy stuff in the rink they would let the condor loose in the arena <laughs> and it would fly around but it yeah. made what i meant to say is what it made for great social media it made for great clicks and stuff like that oh yeah and 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 i think at one time they were at one time among like hockey geeks they were like the most popular minor league team until the trashers documentary yeah. came out i think too yeah like when you're when you're in a level like that too you got to kind of do what it takes to get on radars right and yeah especially like bakersfield like i don't know what the number is exactly but i remember when i was younger living there it was like around three hundred thousand people so wow. not like the biggest but still a good size middle of the desert yeah exactly um, but you got, you got to do what you can to get on radars and, you know, for people to notice you and want to come out to games. And you got to do, you know, take some risks and do some crazy stuff like that sometimes. So just to kind of put the put the timetable together here. So did you do like a year or two of high school in California or how did yep. it work? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I did my uh, my freshman, sophomore year in Bakersfield. And then a high school team or like high school. A, no, just uh, just, just like travel. Team. Just yeah. yeah, travel. So it was uh, midgets. Okay. Well, actually, to my sophomore year, um, Bakersfield got a I don't know what you relate to now. Do you remember the Western States Hockey League? Yes. Yep. So Bakersfield had a team. And so um, I was 15 years old and got to play in that. Wow. So that was like a big, big wake up call. Like Were some of those kids, twenty. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, here I am playing against grown men. Wow. Like These guys will beat me to a pulp. Yeah. And just yeah, I can remember too. Like my first game, we were in Fresno, and just we playing Selling Arena was like yeah, it's a big where, arena. Yeah. Um, and so I just remember I got clocked so hard and like wow. just like this is a wake up call to like you know real hockey with grown men and stuff like that. But obviously, like I I settled in and I did okay. But um, but yeah. Wow, that that must have been crazy to be out there at fifteen against and 
And I think in some of those leagues, probably the wild, wild west, right? This yep. isn't quite like, you know, the the skilled leagues that you might find <laughs> in Ontario yeah. or, you know, even some of the yeah, maybe so, even the NA3. But I think, too, like playing in that Western League obviously helped me, one, grow as a player and helped me learn to play faster, too, at the same time. And then I think that's what allowed me to get that exposure to, you know, make, you know, a major junior camp and stuff like that to, yeah. to now have that exposure and that talent now. Um, so, yeah, so that junior year um, when I decided, because I was, like, my junior year started in California. So and then when I left to go to the camp, um, then after all that stuff, we decided on Notre Dame and then flew back home and went to school for, you know, a couple more weeks, whatever, and then packed my bags and wow. headed off to Notre Dame. So, yeah, it was good. And obviously, I was in a, a rude awakening for uh, the winters there. Total culture With, shock, Oh, right? my God. Like, I was not expecting you know a cold like that anyone that's ever been to saskatchewan can tell you you know especially just the wind chill all of a sudden it drops 20 more degrees oh my goodness yeah you're wrapped up in layers and layers your face is just oh it's raw yeah Yeah, and you're like you're coming out of the rink like after practice and as soon as you step outside and your hair is still wet it's instantly just icicles on your head and yeah what was the um you know, we, we hear a lot of we look at the we look at the elite prospects and stuff and you kinda see the stats and whatnot. But what was like the life up there for you? You're a sixteen year old kid, you're coming from a s- smaller city in California, not the biggest city in California, and and now you're in a really small town in Saskatchewan, and you're you're describing it as a prairie and w- you know, where what do you find there kind of as a person? Well say I think too what was so great about that place is that because it's so small and you're literally surrounded by nothing like Regina is like 30 minutes away and then also too like uh, students aren't allowed to have cars Wow. so yeah so you're you're stuck there until like someone signs you out or they take a trip to the city whatever it is right but I think one it kind of felt like college early in a way because you just focus on your schooling and hockey and that's it and I think too like when you're in this small location and you're just walking back and forth to your classes in school and you can be so well oriented and focused on just, you know, you're, what you're there for. You Obviously, you get your education, but also at the same time, you're trying to grow as a hockey player. And when you can just focus on that, I think it gives you a, a real advantage. So is there is there a rink on campus? Yep. Is there dorms or you live yep. with billets? Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, like I said, it's like basically a whole college setup, the dormitories. Wow. And there's about three different dorms for the guys, one one dorm for uh, the girls. Wow. Um, so yeah, and then the, the rink is right there on campus. You just walk across the campus there and it's right there. And the uh, Duncan McNeil Arena, the good old dunk tank. Um, lots of good nights in there. But yeah, so it just it's hockey twenty four seven in that town. Like it's when hockey season's in, like if you're not playing that night you're probably going to the rink to watch whatever team. Like yeah. they had they had two teams at every level. So all the way from Bantams all the way up to midget triple A. So um but yeah. I mean and then you kind of get the opportunity to go to Manhattanville College, which is just about forty minutes from here in Purchase, New York. Uh, down the road from where I went at SUNY Purchase, and I mean, it would just seem to me that you're you're kind of winning the Division Three hockey lottery right here. Not the greatest pl- uh, arena to play in, but I mean, you could be in worse places than about 25 minutes from New York City. Oh yeah. Uh, like, I, I, how did you? You know, what were your what were your opportunities when you chose Manhattan? Yeah. Um, I kind of was in debate between Manhattanville and St. Norbert College, actually. Oh, come on. There's yeah. No, yeah, there's, like, no yeah. comparison. Yeah, dude. I mean, obviously, St. Norbert... Probably like, have a great rank, right? Yeah, St. Norbert is, you know, obviously an elite 
program for anyone that knows Division Three, and you know they're good in all sports. I yeah, think, they yeah. are, and so basketball, um, I think too. And it's I don't know because I think too it just made me fall in love with Manhattanville more. Was one they they took the time to actually fly me out for a visit it's all the way from Canada. So one that's pretty something special I think yeah. too. But then two like when you get a, a first hand look at the campus and everything like that, and you meet the coaches and you, some of the players are going to be back the next year and you kind of get acquainted and stuff and with St. Norbert it was kind of just like we talk on the phone a lot here and there and then uh you know St. Norbert was like uh yeah like you know we really want you bad and you'll have your opportunities to play, but we can't promise you like how much you're playing and stuff like that, where Manhattanville is like, no, you're in the lineup every single day. Like wow. you're gonna be a go-to guy. Like we're bringing in a, a pretty large freshman class, but we're gonna look to you to, to be in the lineup and produce every single night, so. Another West Coast guy that um, had a fantastic career at uh, Manhattanville College is uh, Mickey Lang. Did you did yeah. you know Mickey? Did you yeah, I got I got to meet Mickey a few times, so um, did a couple skates with him and Make stuff like that. Make it all the way to AHL maybe? I think something pretty close. Mickey yeah. Lang. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I got to meet Mickey. So I got to know him for a little bit. So yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Did you ever do any work with him on the ice? N- not like kind of like coaching stuff with him. No, yeah. not really. But like he kind of did like some skates for like juniors and college guys. So we did a couple of those, but pretty brief. So before he took off to go, I think it was Tahoe. He went to go coach. Yeah. Him. He's out there. Right. Yeah. I think he was. Yeah. No, not anymore. So, yeah. uh, yeah, so he um, got to know him briefly that way. He's been around forever. Yeah, a few AHL games, but mostly East okay. Coast. Yeah, yeah, but he was a yeah, yeah. He was he yeah. was a real good player at yeah. Manhattan. I remember yeah. covering him for uh, New York Hockey Journal. He was like their main guy. Yeah, he's that a w- player. That was the time when I was covering for Hockey Journal. Manhattanville was pretty good. Utica was really good. Utica was playing. You played up there against Utica? Yeah, that's who we uh, we had to beat in the finals. You play in that AHL rank against oh, them. Oh, it's electric. Dude, oh they used God. to get like 3,000, 4,000 people oh, yeah. to come to their D3 hockey game up there. It was, uh, yeah, that that was that was one place that was holding it down. You were in a really competitive conference. How did you guys do overall in the four years, I guess? Yeah, I think – my freshman year, I'm pretty sure we made the semifinals, and so I think the only bad year was junior year. We lost first round, wow. so we went semi semis, out first round, and then obviously won it my senior year. But that senior year, like honestly, like was, I don't know. We just kind of felt it in that group that like we had it right, and so um, obviously, and it, it was kind of kind of funny how it all worked out. So obviously, Utica is who we beat in the final senior year. And I'm pretty sure, like, if the stats are right, but, like, all four years, we had never won in that barn ever. And so... Like another impossible place. Honestly, yeah. yeah. And so, like, and it was pretty electric what happened because it was... uh, it was a best of three series, and so I, I don't know if so I don't know if it's ever every other conference does it too, whatever. But for our conference, the UCHC that year, they turned it into a best of three. But how it worked though was that um, game one was say Saturday night, whatever. Game two, so say we so we had lost Saturday. Game two on Sunday, if we had won, you instantly play game three that same moment. So how that game three works though is yeah I know right <laughs> I was it was absolutely nuts. So Talk you play about making so college you, hockey so, a joke ex- exactly so like it was, a beer league it was game just, it was kind of just and then so how it worked though too for that game three we reserved the ice boys it was actually no but it was actually just a mini game they called it so you only play twenty minutes what the yes it was like so, a so long it's not, overtime exactly so it's not OT though so you play the full twenty regardless right yeah, yeah, and yeah. so. 
honestly, it worked in our advantage because, you know, we pull off this huge win Sunday, right? Or whatever day it was, right? And the boys are buzzing, we're feeling it. And then it's like, dude, we got to go right into this game three. Like, we got the momentum. Like, we just felt it and we were amped and we were able to pull it off in that That's mini amazing. game. So, I, I honestly, like, honestly, I'm, I don't love the concept. Obviously, oh, dude, like, I, I ended up on the right side of the coin for it, but. I, I literally mean, played in a beer league soccer league but, that was but, like that. Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't know what the whole concept of them deciding to pick that, you know, the way to do that. But and you know what? It, it kind of worked out for us in the end. We had to do that, too, against Elmira College. Um, what's it called? In the uh, the semifinals, too. Wow. So, but yeah, it's just funny how it worked out. But, I don't, yeah, but for the whole conference in general, like, I think – I think me going to Manhattanville as well, um, the whole conference is kind of like that blue-collar style. And, you know, playing in Saskatchewan, and anyone that knows the SJHL, like back then, obviously, um, it was a it was a grit league. Like, it's a blue-collar league where you got to work for each win every single night. And I think that kind of tied into me going to Manhattanville and that conference, and you play those schools that are kind of the same way. And I think it just fit well, for sure, because obviously, like, if I went to St. Norbert, like, in those other types of conferences, you kind of have, like, your top dogs and your bottoms, right? Like, there's a good night and day, right, of who's who. Um, but in my conference for Manhattanville, you know, any team can win on any night, and I think that's what kind of grows you too as a player to to learn not to take a uh, night off anytime. So, yeah. I wonder if, like, I wonder if you would have even made it to Danbury had you gone to St. Norbert. You know, like not that not that you couldn't have gone to yeah. play on, but like just with the circumstances that brought you here. You uh, never know. No, absolutely, and I you know I'm a person that believes everything happens for a reason, right? So, um, I, yeah, who knows what could have happened? Even if I maybe. Who knows if I even got, you know, my look with Huntsville or not. So who knows how that would have all worked out. Where, where where did you live when you went to Manhattanville? Did you on, live on, on campus, campus the whole time? Oh, yeah. No, on campus. Like, yeah. So hard to live like, off campus yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, say we don't really have the, the funds to be living off campus and uh, purchase New York you, out here. You guys so. had, like, the preppy campus. Our campus <laughs> was, like, the Lower East Side in the 80s. <laughs> Like, it was just drugs and graffiti yeah. everywhere and, like, trash yeah. all over the campus. You guys yeah. go over to your place, it's like a be- beautiful summer camp or yeah, something. Yeah, there was one of our guys my freshman year, though, like, um, he does okay. And so he was able to, to live off campus, though. Um, but, no, it's just easier, too, to live on campus at the same time because, like, it was like, hey, like, we'll have, like, our, our pregames in the suites and go out afterwards. Or right, right, the right. From there, but. You guys yeah. are actually closer to White Plains than we were. You're kind of further down yeah. the hill. Yeah, yeah. And, like, able to – it's like a 10-minute ride compared yeah. to, like, a 20-minute ride f- for us. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do miss those days sometimes. Let's 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 spare the listeners the, uh, the college <laughs> kind of – need a whole other yeah, episode for stories. Definitely huh? <laughs> like a saga there yeah. on Anderson Hill Road. Oh, God. But, yeah, you know um, – so I guess you went to the SBHL camps, and, and you know, Billy has that way of he's, – he's usually in touch – with a lot of those SPHL coaches to see who's available, who comes through that seems to be a fringe guy or a guy that could benefit from uh, opportunities to play in a pro setting. But, you know, what was your – what did you have any kind of – did you ever come up here for a whale? I guess the whalers weren't around when you were in school. No. Were the Titans around? Maybe probably, they were around for a year or two. But yeah, yeah but you, never made it up here until, yeah. Yeah, until the hot tricks. That's interesting. What was your impression when you got here? Honestly, like I got – I thought it was great. Like I love, I love the arena. How you just have that one huge side of bleachers, and obviously, like I've kind of did some research before, and you kind of see like how they fill it up and stuff like that. And 
you kind of do like your little history lessons and you see the history of the the team and everything like that so obviously you can tell that there's a lot of passion in this town for hockey right and so it continues to grow and grow it feels like and so to be a part of it was uh definitely a big honor so you were a part of that 1920 team uh 2019 2020 team that just absolutely was on a tear yep. i think you guys had a, a dozen game winning streak or better yep. uh going on that season and then boom uh you know covid comes and it ends uh you know what was a promising season probably equal to the one the hat tricks are experiencing right now um you were one of the guys who didn't play at all the next season too right the uh for that covid year yeah, yeah i didn't play in covid year because i was just at home and like luckily in bakersfield our rink like was open and so i was just doing a lot of coaching private lessons stuff like that so like you know the money was too good to kind of just drop it and leave because obviously like if we're not in season we're not getting paid here right as players so um i was just kind of on like the standby call basically like i was still training all that stuff getting ready and you know as soon as the drop of the hat comes like hit the road get out to danbury but obviously that never happened so and then too when they said like it was only going to be like a three-month season or something like that too and i just think you know what like it's it's still not worth it yet to just kind of like leave and i'll just kind of wait until we actually have that full season again what um you know as a young guy that really had just finished college you made it two-thirds basically through your first season then COVID strikes um was it difficult just kind of knowing that the time that was passing would have probably been those you know a big chunk of those good years that you were going to give hockey yeah i mean yeah it was definitely tough for sure and i did reflect on that for sure when i was at home i was like you know what this is you know i'm losing time of you know my hockey clock right and everyone has that clock and eventually that time runs out and it was it was really tough to swallow for a bit but you know what honestly that i got two pretty great years out of obviously one and three quarters more so but um at the same time like it was from start to finish though like it was just a huge blessing and you know just to have the opportunity to do all this stuff was pretty incredible for sure so there was no regrets with it at all that's something that i've you know as i get older i had a birthday this week uh i don't think i want to say how old i am oh but, happy birthday uh <laughs> i had a birthday this weekend as i get older you know it, it just seems like that time that you guys are living right now is just so like you know especially the guys on the team right now it's just just so valuable you never get those couple of years after college back like it sounds crazy but um and I'm a little, I'm quite a bit past those couple of years after college now. But I can, I can tell you in my experience, you never get like your last two years of high school back. Yep. You just never get it back. Yeah, yeah. And you never really get those kind of middle to last years of college back. You never get those back. Yep. And then I think one of those times, just as, as a growing person, as, a, as, as an individual, you never get those years that are like right after college back either. So to be a hockey player and to have that, as you say, hockey clock on your mind, uh, I'm sure it was devastating. And I often wonder how many guys um, this league missed or guys that maybe would have been good that just had to make different choices. Um, I think at this level, that time is just so much more valuable. If you think about it, if you're one of these athletes that makes $180 million, I'm not saying every athlete does, <laughs> yeah. but if you're one of these athletes that makes a multiple millions, yeah, it sucks if you miss a year, but it's almost good. 
you can like rest your sure, body, absolutely. get yourself back to 100%, and then you can go on for the next 12 years making multiple millions a year. But I think when you're literally uh, in the Four Peanuts Hockey League, yep. uh, it, it's just it's one of those things that uh, you're playing for pride. It's really for pride, Hockey League. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, a human being just has only so many years they can do that. Yeah, and I mean... I think when it got to the point when, like, obviously, like, every player realizes, like, okay, probably not making the NHL now, right? So when you have that moment of realization, like, my attention came to, like, you know what? I want to be part of something where, like, the fans just, like, are absolutely the best, right? And, like, I want to be part of an environment where, like, I'm playing in front of hundreds and maybe thousands of people, like, every night. And so when I got to Danbury and like we had that huge crowd and everything like that, I was like, dude, this is like, a, this is good. This is, I'm glad this worked out. And like, so when you play in this type of league, like I feel like you're doing it more for that and you know, for the fans and everything like that. And it's just kind of like, this is your NHL, right? But this is where you kind of soak in all these memories and all these moments, right? So um, to be part of that and just seeing all these people here, it's truly incredible. Speaking of memories and moments, what stands out from that, 2019 2020 season is there any moment or it sticks in your head from really that great run from that great run like i don't know i obviously like the first goal is a special one right you never forget your first i feel so um that was a pretty special moment but i think too just just the guys like in that locker room was just what made it truly something special like this it was a group where like Every day we're showing up to the rink just like we love hockey. Like just because obviously one, we knew we were just dominating this whole league. But like I think too, just the group as a whole and you know, doing something special to where you're a first year organization, right? And there's kinda like that pressure on your shoulders, but also too like you alleviate that pressure because here we are like winning games and stuff like that, right? So, you know, everyone's loving it. The boys are having a good time and you know, life's great for sure. So I think just from start to finish, yeah, I think just the guys, for sure. What about last season? It was a little bit of more of a bump and grind and yeah. a, and an up and down year. What what kind of drove you to decide that maybe you weren't going to come back, which, which ultimately happened? Yeah, I think kind of initially, too, going into the season, I just kind of knew it was, you know, time to maybe hang them up here after this last year. So, um but I think, too, the guys in that locker room as well just made it really special as well. And, you know, just having the support of everyone. And, you know, I was I had a really special game. It was against Binghamton. And uh, my my family, there was like 14 family members wow. from California. And so I think it was our, our last homestand against Binghamton. Oh, yeah. I remember but, this. I think, but weren't they all wearing like jerseys? Yeah, they all, like, like from my youth, my youth days yeah. to junior <laughs> days, all these guys were wearing Ander this. Anderson jerseys. Different jerseys. And, yeah. yeah, so, but uh, yeah, I, I got to play and I ended up scoring a hat trick that game. Wow. And that was, yeah. a, oh and that was a, a truly big memory that I'll just never forget for sure to, you know, and they're, they're a big part of why I, I stuck with hockey so long, right? Just like, just them telling me all the time how proud they are of me and you know just knowing I got the support of those guys always and they're always checking in on me and stuff like that so to do it for them in front of them too was just a, a real special moment for sure yeah that's something that I'm sure you're gonna hold on to forever absolutely um but you shared a great story with me last night that I think you really need to tell everyone here about your missing tooth <laughs> and we can give a shout out to Amy uh, but let, let, let's just hear the story because um, I don't remember exactly what led to it. I want you to tell the, the crowd that, but 
The truth, yeah, you just, your right smack is your right front tooth. Yeah, <laughs> so we were playing Gone. playing against Watertown. I don't know what point in the season. It was probably around February <coughs> or something like that. you get thrown like out that. of the game, too? You had to leave the game? Oh, uh, I left the game, yeah. <coughs> I was, yeah, it was not in good condition. <laughs> but was playing and went to go finish a hit on the guy, and the guy's probably, I don't know, three, four feet off the boards and went to go finish the hit, and... Uh, he dodged out of the way and his leg was still sticking out. So I go right over his leg, kiss the stanchion, right? So the boards is always going to win that battle, right? So yeah. kiss the boards really hard, pop, pop my tooth out. And so I was like, and I just like, I had no feeling in my face too. Oh. I was like, dude, I got like, this isn't good. So I go up to the locker room. I'm just kind of like trying to stop my mouth from bleeding and all that stuff. And, uh, I think it was it was Amy or Aaron, whoever was our trainer that night, and she came and gave my, gave me my tooth, the bottom half of it. She's like, "Here, Corey, like I found, I found your tooth. I don't know if you want it." <laughs> so I said, "I said, all right, well, thank you." So Dr. K down at Stony Hill, shout out to him. Um, I go into the office, and uh, he's looking at it, whatever. And luckily, like the the roots weren't exposed, so we didn't have to yank the whole tooth out and. I saw. I said, "Hey, I, I got the bottom half wrapped up here. I, if I don't know if you can do anything with it, whatever." He looks at it and he goes, "Yep, I could put this back on." Wow. So, so this this <laughs> dude, I swear, in like 10, 15 minutes, like a NASCAR pit stop was just like working real quick, gluing this thing back up and on, and brand new, good as good as new. So, I was pretty pumped that I got to save my tooth. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's one of the best stories we've had pretty much just about losing a tooth. Oh, my that God. Was and I was so freaked out, too. Well, not freaked out, but I think I was more mad because here I am, like, you know, 20, 29 years old now and, like, no, 28, sorry, and, like, going my whole hockey career without losing a, a single tooth. Wow. And, then, of course, in my last year now, like, I save it up to, you know, get hurt and do this thing. So, whatever. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you've been doing since you stepped away from the team here. Yeah, so life in Cali has been uh, it's been pretty busy, but pretty blessed with how it's been going. So was uh, so kind of a reason too why I stopped playing was uh, I had decided previously before though that firefighting is what I wanted to get into, and so um, you know twenty eight, twenty nine now it kind of got to that point where it's like all right, if this is what I'm going to do, like I got to start focusing on it, right? Like I and obviously everyone knows hockey is a sport where you can't play till you're forty years old, whatever. Mm -hmm. But so. To, to get in that feel for fire it's like all right i'm at that age now where like all right this is where i, I gotta start getting to it and whatever but uh was studying up because you need your emt certification to be a firefighter so been, was studying up for my tests and everything like that um back in october and uh bakersfield got um this past year a usp hl junior team and so um chris and sarah gregory um i grew up playing with their kids actually um they started the team and so they asked me, uh, hey, like, we need an assistant. Like, you know, obviously you got a great hockey history, and we'd love to have you on board. And, and like I said before, like, I'm just someone who believes that everything happens for a reason. And so I just, like, it felt right. Like, I feel like this is something that I need to be a part of. And so I hopped on as the assistant with those guys this past year, and it was a great first season. You know, we came shy of making the playoffs, but for being the youngest team in the whole league and the whole USPHL um, and to, you know, have a pretty successful year of where we ended up was pretty great but uh was doing that and so um i re-signed with these guys again to hop on as the assistant it's a paid position yeah, yeah yeah so i'm um, helping those guys again and um at the same time too i was able to get uh, my hockey training company off the ground triumph hockey development so um you know 
I think too it all started too playing for Manhattanville and anyone who's you know a youth player probably seen on the east coast eric nate's euro hockey oh yes so i got to work for nate's all four years of college and like yeah that's somebody you know, i should have asked you about he's always involved with uh, manhattanville players oh, yeah he was big with mickey lang yep. yeah he was big with mick too and so like from freshman year like i said like hey like we'll love to work for you because he came out and he actually ran a couple of our practices did like skating and skill work and stuff like that and i was like dude like where has this been my whole life like if i had this when i was a kid dude who knows like the type of player I maybe could have ended up being but so I would recommend, like, not to advertise here, but, like, 10 out of 10 would recommend anyone on the East Coast that can do an Eric Nates camp, go ahead and do it He's for sure. He's one of the most highly recommended skating Absolutely. coaches. And working for, working for him, too, like, he, he's – that that company is a reason why I fell in love with coaching, too, right? And obviously, like, to have that experience, um, it kind of led me to, get, to start um, Triumph and get it off the ground. And so to fall in love with coaching and, you know, be on that side of things now and I just have a passion and kind of a niche for it. So it's been really great for sure. And so, yeah, just have that going on. And like I said, now I'm at the point where I'm resetting up for that EMT and hopefully get that in my back pocket by this summer and obviously apply to whoever wants to hire me and go from there. Before we dip into a couple of closing thoughts about the series and whatnot, but sure. I want to ask you, so you, you did tell me last night when we were shooting the breeze that you did play in some senior games out there. Yeah. And I was always kind of wondering, like, um, you know, I, it, it would just seem like there's so many uh, players, guys like yourself, guys like Kyle Gonzalez. Um, I can't think of the, the kid's name who was the MVP of the SPHL a few years ago. He is also from California. Um, I can't think of his name right now. But in, in any case, you know, like, and it, and it doesn't seem like there's a shortage of arenas out there. I know it's probably harder to make ice on the West Coast. I'm just guessing. But, like, how, you know, you did play some senior hockey. There are a few teams out there on the West Coast that are or in the Mountain West that are kind of doing it right, Vale Yeti and the Santa Rosa Growlers. I know yep. you're playing with a team called the Stockton Stallions yep. a little bit. Yep. But how come, like, do you think that there could be a market for something like the FPHL out there? It might be a little less or a little. But, I mean, even if it started with humble beginnings. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, yeah, something like the, the Federal League, I think it could do pretty well. Um, obviously, you do a lot more recruiting for sure to get those guys out to the West Coast, and obviously, the West Coast is an easy seller, right? But right. obviously, at the same time, depends on your location. So, um, I think too, you got to make sure that you have the right market because obviously, like California is still growing as for hockey wise for that world. Um, so, I think if you're in the right city, for sure, it kind of like it gets that ball rolling, and you know, if you got the right crowd and the right market, for sure, it could definitely have potential for sure well like you said like the the bakersfield fans are kind of used to that rough and yep. tumble and i'm probably you know i mean I'd, I'd venture to say that there are probably a ton of places out west that you know again if it started out as six teams and in, yep. in, in small rinks or something like that and sure. built up to built up to empty or you know bigger arenas um you know they moved into bigger arenas that have been empty. Yep. But yeah, I just I always kind of wonder about that because there's a lot of talent. But, yeah, um, but what? I think too. Sorry, like I just think yeah, I think it's like I hadn't mentioned the location is a big factor because it's like you get kind of like those blue collar towns in California, like Bakersfield's one, Fresno's one, uh, uh, Stockton, right? They had the heat; they're gone, right? Yeah, so yeah. Th so these guys, the Stallions, they stepped in and like we had a great turn. It was an exhibition game we played, but we had an awesome turnout for you know. 
you know, senior hockey or something, senior hockey, yeah. right? And I think it's just because of it's hockey, right? And these these people wanted to see hockey again, and I think, like I said, it just depends where you are, though, for sure. It would be nice to see something happen out there, just to just to see more guys go to work and more opportunities yeah. available. I think too. So I think sorry. I just think that for the college aspect, though, it needs to get better. Yeah, like that whole, and I, I see it happening eventually too. But it's like. Oregon, UCLA, USC, like those big schools, like they can easily start an NCAA Division One program. Absolutely. And like you talk about really growing hockey in California, like that's where you do it right there because obviously the youth kids are going to look to that more because it's more closer in their ballpark when it comes up to their future, right? Sure. So I think if they get that ball rolling for sure, like you're going to see California hockey really skyrocket for sure. I could definitely see that, you know. Washington State and all these other schools yeah. out there on the West Coast, they probably have uh, a lot of potential for that. And then, yeah. they, you know, like UNLV's got to be on the way at some yeah, point. Yeah, like that school too, exactly. You know what and I mean? it, it's like, just, it's so tough right now, especially too, because with the youth side of hockey, is that like there's not enough high caliber out there. And I think that's a reason. Like for me, I'm a perfect example, right? Like if I really wanted to pursue hockey and grow and become a really good player, like I had to leave California, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the right choice. And obviously it worked out great. But uh it's just tough because it's like, you know, I talk to, you know, people and like I've got to meet a bunch of scouts over the years and stuff like that. And you know, they say, Yeah, like anytime we go to California, like they tell us to go watch LA, the Ducks and San Jose Sharks, like the youth, the youth teams, like three teams, like there should be way more variety, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if they can start offering more caliber and it, to keep kids here, right? And that's how you really grow, grow it from within, right? Yeah. Don't have all these kids start leaving California. And then now you're trying to fish and get all these kids to come fly out to California to play, like start it from the roots, right? So hopefully it can grow that you way. You feel like there are a lot of rinks in California? Oh, absolutely. There yeah. seem like Big there time. are. Yeah. yeah, and it's nice because, um, all the rinks are year-round so yeah. yeah so you never have to worry about ice being taken out and stuff like that so there and especially in that southern california area like anaheim like irvine those types of areas like they've really grown and there's constantly ice everywhere so it's good you've probably been watching the guys pretty close this season uh you know what what are your thoughts on this team Oh God! Here it's in Danbury, been, it's been really cool to watch for sure, and I still keep in touch with a lot of the guys throughout the year. So, um, to see how successful they've been and to get to the point where they're at right now, um, obviously, like it's it feels really great to be, you know, a part of that from the beginning, day one. And obviously, though, like when I talk to the guys, like they say, like yeah, we got a really good team, and like we're really like well meshed, and like that's what you need on a successful hockey team and a championship team right you need that glue you need to be meshed well together and i think obviously these guys have it and they have the passion and i hear all the time that they're just they're hungry right they want it really bad and you know that's what's going to make the difference at the end of the day when you're in especially now the championship finals like it just comes down to like who's going to execute it more who wants it more who's going to make those details right like it's the finer tuning things and i think these guys got it for sure and then, you know, being at the game last night, how did it feel being back in the building, you know, yeah. after so long and then being, you know, on the other side of the glass? Oh, God. Like, one, that was definitely, like, one of the toughest things I've had to watch for sure was watching these guys. But at the same time, like, just being a fan for the boys and just, you know, I at moments, like, I got caught, like, reminiscing on all, like, the good games and all the good times in that arena and, you know, last night was absolutely packed in that barn. Like, just the whole bleachers filled bottom to top right so 
um, I kind of I had moments of chills for sure. And so um, it was definitely tough too. Like I'm just kind of walking through the arena and fans are like, hey, Corey, Corey, like, you know, we want you out there. Like, <laughs> like just hearing that, I was like, ah, oh, guys, tugging my heart, right? But, and, you know, and then just seeing like old fans too, like, you know, people that I've gotten to know over my time here, right? And these guys turn into like a second family and you get to know all these people on a personal level. And again, like that's why like Danbury is so special, I feel, is because when you meet great people here, like, you know, they become a part of your life forever, I feel, no matter where you end up. And you always stay in contact and stuff like that. Like, you know, there's fans that are, you know, friends with my parents and they stay in contact here and there and stuff like that so it's pretty special to be in a spot where you know you have kind of like that family atmosphere for sure so yeah being here though and watching these guys and do their thing was was pretty electric like i woke up with a super raspy voice like a sore <laughs> throat like i was just screaming i don't think i've ever screamed so hard at a hockey game since i was like a kid honestly cheering so hard you needed the megaphone <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i might need that tonight i might lose my voice again but yeah so to be back in that arena though and and just seeing everyone and you know just the atmosphere that place brings is it's definitely something remarkable for sure it was really special last night, yeah. And it uh, was it was great to have you there, yeah. Just to be a part of it, and uh, you know, uh, it was a great night. And, and I, we just got to keep pushing forward. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think they got it. I think these guys, especially when any team that comes into Danbury knows that they're in for a hurting, especially one against the guys themselves, but obviously all these fans in the building that are that are going to give it to him for sure. I, I, I was I was giving it to Hussey last night. Not going to lie. So I was, I was saying some words. But uh, but yeah, so it's all good though. So both of the Hussey brothers had a let's just say a lot of comments directed at them. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But no, so yeah, to be to be here though, like, like I said, it almost feels like I never left at the same time, and just kind of driving through town and you know checking out the old spots and everything like that, and you know it, it feels good to be back here for sure. I've definitely now considered Danbury a second home for me personally. That's so awesome. But yeah, so I'm. I'm happy to be here, and I'm glad I could could witness this for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Corey, for coming on the show, and you know, thanks for coming up. Absolutely, fellas. Thanks for great having to see me. you, Corey. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Daniel McKittrick, the Speed Demon of Danbury Hattricks, and you're listening to Hattrick City on WXCI. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hattrick City. I'm your host, DJ Patty Cake, as always, joined by DJ Uncle Matt here in the studio. Today we got the one and only Doug Smith, otherwise known as Doug the Thug, Doug. Thanks for coming on the show today. Boys, I appreciate being here. Doug, it's, it really is great to have you here, man. Uh, you've been you know, a good friend of mine for actually a few years now through the Mustache Classic and, and all you've done to support the men's cancer and suicide prevention as kind of an ambassador and a player and a referee, everything you've done over the Hall of Famer uh, you've done <laughs> over the last few years with us. But uh, when, when it turned out, that uh, the Danbury Hattricks would play against the Carolina Thunderbirds in the finals. I was like, this is, like, we have to get Doug to come down here if he's going to be at the game because, you know, you really got your start in pro hockey with the original uh, Carolina Thunderbirds, too. So it's just incredible to have you here, man. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> for people that don't know my story, I, I, my first year of minor pro was in Winston-Salem. And that was in 1988-89, and we actually won the championship in that year. And, you know, it was just phenomenal to be on a championship team in general, never mind your rookie season. And um, so when I found the schedule was leaning this way, and I kept watching the games for both sides, and 
here we are. We're in Danbury in the finals, and it's sentimental for me to have Carolina here. Um, but I've, over the last couple of years, thanks to you and, and Herm and, and the Danbury guys that I've met, um, you know, I've, I've become a big fan of theirs also. So this will be an exciting night for me. I'm shocked that you didn't come here with your Carolina Thunderbirds ring on. You know what? I, I did think about bringing it, but again, I want to stay neutral. Wow. I want to support both teams because they're both worthy and they're both they're, they're coached by good guys. They're owned by good people and, and both teams, you know, are worthy of winning, like I said. So Again, it's sentimental for Carolina, but otherwise, I'm neutral. I'm not. I'm. I'll take it back. I'm really not shocked because that's exactly the, the good guy Doug is. And for for nobody, you know, for anybody out there who doesn't know, um, just like he said, the real story of Goon, the movie Goon, uh, is based on Doug's life. Doug Glatt uh, was really based on Doug Smith, who wrote also co-wrote an excellent book called Goon uh, about his travels and trials in minor league hockey and uh it de definitely a book that influenced me not only as a, a hockey fan but deeply as a writer um i just thought uh somebody you know we, we we have another show that we do here uh it's called the public reading club and we had a great writer come on and he said that uh, one of the best things for a writer is to write things down within 24 hours of when they happened and just even looking at your book um I bet you reading that book is so special now because of that commitment to the memories and the different things that are that are in that book, your, your career, if you will. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head, and I know you didn't know this, but coincidentally, back when I did play, I kept notes. Wow. Every night, I would write in a little journal, <laughs> and um, and I would, I would reflect on the game that I either played in, who I may have fought, how the shifts went. I just wrote a little dialogue of each game, and it wasn't until like a year or two later when m one of my best friends, Adam Fratazio, and I sat down to start writing the book, and I pulled out this journal, and Adam was like blown away. He was like, oh my God, what is this? And I told him, I said, well, every night if I had a fight or I did not play and sat in the stands, I just logged everything. And, uh, and we used that journal for all the different chapters and stories throughout the book to make it legit. Never mind the fact that Adam did a tremendous amount of work contacting literally every single guy I ever fought and reached out to them and asked them, do you recall Doug Smith? Do you recall fighting him? And he would have the date and the time and the place, and, and it kind of helped that other fighter wow. recollect what happened. And uh, it just gave life to the book. It gave some realism to the book. The, the result is just a fantastic book about life in minor league hockey. I recommend it to anybody who comes to Danbury Arena for their off-season uh, kind of reading. It would be great if you keep up with hockey by reading a really great book. Uh, I think it's available from, Mc, is it McPherson, the publisher now? Somebody's published it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's gone around twice. We kind of, we, we had a sequel come out, a second book, and uh, it, the original um, McFarlane, I think. McFarlane. They, they were the original people, and a different publishing company basically outbid them because wow. they wanted the second edition. So we went through this other place. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's available on Amazon. Yeah, it's and, a great book. You know, it's, it's out there. So um, take people back a little bit, though. Tell Just tell people a little bit of your story because the, the Doug Smith story in hockey starts, you know, you're, you're basically a, a guy who had an amateur boxing background a little bit, right? Correct. I think the real story lies that it's an underdog story. It's a long, short story because 
I didn't start skating until I was 20 years old, <laughs> which is insanity. Right? I didn't play high school hockey. I didn't play peewees and might hockey as a kid growing up. I was an amateur boxer, like you said. My dad was an amateur boxer, so it was just something that he groomed me into doing through my high school years. And uh, I only fell into hockey almost by accident through Adam, who wrote the book with me, because Adam played hockey, and his, his idea was, you know, Doug's background in fighting and boxing, well, hockey allows that, specifically in the minor leagues. And if we could teach Doug how to skate, if we could teach him how to keep his balance, Maybe he could play somewhere. Now, obviously, it was a ridiculous pipe dream. But, again, I started at 20 years old just skating on a pond, renting ice at midnights with all my buddies who already played hockey. And two years later, at 22, I played my first organized league. It was like a Boston men's league in the, in the Boston area, uh, you know, with referees. Wow. And it was real, real, real hockey. 22 now. 22 now, uh. my first real league. And then by the time I was 23, I was in the East Coast Hockey League. Wow. So, I mean, again, it was a pipe dream. But listen, it, it, it comes down to also politics and who you know in life, right? And I just happen to know some of the right people. I knew a scout in the NHL, and I knew some other people. And listen, my skating was horrendous, as you can well imagine. <laughs> but you know what? At six foot two, 250 pounds wow. at the time with a boxing background— I could find a job in the minor leagues. Yeah. And and these guys that I were friends with, they, they made some phone calls and, and opened up some doors. And at that point, it was basically sink or swim. You know, uh, Pat here is 20 years old, and he just started skating. So <laughs> I think that there's... Don't even think about Yeah, that. I think he's got a chance. And, and <laughs> yeah. he definitely knows yeah. a couple of hockey scouts in the yeah. minor leagues. Yeah. So. You yeah. might want to be an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. uh, Doug, so, like, just for perspective, because probably a few of our listeners... Um, including Pat and myself, were actually down in Winston-Salem to see the first two games uh, between the Hattricks and the Carolina Thunderbirds. You know, what What was it like? You're a Massachusetts guy, like you could be from nowhere else, and you, you go down to North Carolina, you're in your early 20s. What, what was the vibe like down there? I mean, we saw an old barn that had a lot of character, you know what I mean? But it was probably very different, you know, some 30 years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it, and it certainly was. But I can tell you the hockey fans have never changed, and yeah. they haven't even changed today, especially in minor league hockey. I mean, let's face it, minor league hockey, are, are small areas located in the suburbs or the outskirts of a city or, or an older type of city, and Winston-Salem back in the time was no different. It was a, it was a tobacco tobacco factory, yeah. and, it, and the the smell was nasty. Anytime <laughs> you went outside, all you can smell is that tobacco. was It was awful. But my point though is that they're all hardworking people down there, and um, and they didn't care if their team won or lost. If they didn't see a fight, if they didn't see good hard physical hockey, they felt like they were getting ripped off. Wow. So here comes Doug Smith from the city of Boston down to Hillbillyville. <laughs> And, uh, and my very first game and the very first shift of my first period of pro hockey, I dropped my gloves against a known tough guy, and I beat him. Wow. And then the second period, I get my second shift against the other tough guy on that team, square off, and I beat him. Wow. So overnight, fortunately for me, I was like an overnight sensation to the fans. They loved me, and I couldn't do no wrong because I was always willing to fight. That was my role. And, uh, and my team really took me, you know, open arms because and, and, they didn't really have a guy at the time that was doing that job. And, uh, 
you know, I probably p- played about 30 games or less with them. I had probably 175 penalty minutes for that first year, and it was all fights. It wasn't two minutes for hooking or two minutes for tripping because I didn't get any shifts to actually play. <laughs> that was the funny part. I would just go out on a face-off and line up next to a guy who was, you know, kind of running around, and I'd try to straighten him out. So it was 28 games with 179 penalty minutes and one lone uh, pretty assist. I'm yeah. sure it looked like Gretzky. Yeah, the assist <laughs> probably came off my shin pads by accident <laughs> or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, it was it was a great atmosphere down there. I loved it. In fact, when the season was over, I almost didn't go home. Yeah. I liked it down there that much. The people were really super nice to me. Um, you know, I just enjoyed it, it. Was It was going from the city rat, rat race that I lived in to slow country just low-key lifestyle and I really did like that where did you guys live in those days uh, the team actually had an apartment complex that they housed us in so rooming was rooming I should say was um, provided by the team which was huge back then because we weren't making a lot of money and uh, the only way I could actually make extra money was to fight more. <laughs> and I know it wasn't publicized, but, I mean, the owner of the team at the time would always give me little notes in my paycheck with extra cash saying, great game Saturday night, having three fights. The fans will be back next week to see you again. Because I was making him money. Yeah. Concessions were selling because people were coming out to see fighting. Yeah. And uh, when I lose the game, I mean, like I said, th- the, the action was the there. The action was there for them, exactly. So for me, it was great. It was a great time. So do you remember, like, the, you know, we, we again, it, I've probably talked a little bit of smack about Carolina, but it was a great atmosphere. <laughs> the fans were loud. They were. What was it like in your day down there? You know, what was the atmosphere like around games in that league? Yeah, I mean, I, I could come out at warm-ups, and there would be banners up on the upper deck that would have my name on them. I mean, I had a great fan support. And even on the road, those fans would know who you are. Like, you're the bad guy. And they would yell at me. They would throw stuff at me. But it was awesome because, you know, you knew they, they recognized who you were. And, uh, and I always said to all my teammates, I would much rather fight on the road than at home. Because on the road, that guy is under pressure. He has to fight me. Because he's in front of his fans now. Right. And everyone wants to show off at home anyway. A lot of guys don't show up on the road. And so for me, I always had the opposite analogy. I am definitely getting fights on the road because he wants to show off. And, and he thinks I, he can take me. Yeah. yeah and I want to try and prove him wrong. And I got I to gotta make a name for myself. Wow. That, that's, you know, and that's probably the way it was for a long time yeah. in pro hockey. I'm not sure it's really that same today you watch a ton of hockey you, you still watch a ton of hockey huh I do I mean I enjoy the game I wish it hasn't changed as much as it has you know it's certainly gotten away from that physical element and obviously there's not a lot of fighting but uh, and I understand where the NHL is going with it I, I don't agree with it but I do understand it um, but I, I sometimes feel like it could come back it seems like I'll give an example okay the Boston Bruins just lost to Florida yeah why because they were physically out-muscled. Yeah. There weren't a lot of fights, but they were just out-muscled. And Florida just did it again the other night to Toronto. So there's two legitimate, skilled teams that are bounced out by a team that's a grinding, physical team. That hockey's going to come back. It has to, because people are looking at the blueprint and saying, well, we're never going to win the Cup if we don't bring in a few of these type of guys. 
It's just, it's going to go back. I, you know, I echo the sentiment. I would love to see just a little more aggressive hockey. A little, I'd like to see guys a little more eager to take the other guy off the puck at least. And I think we're seeing less and less of that. Not just fighting, not just, you know, uh, kind of aggressive play to kind of level things, but more eager to get the guy off the puck. You know what I mean? Right. Eager to take, and that's, I think there's a lot of looking, there's a lot of floating with, with your man or the guy that's on the puck. I'd like to see a little more of that action. Have you, you know, the probably a lot of people don't know, you actually refereed some games in the Federal Hockey League at one point, probably 10 years ago, huh? I did, yeah. I, I worked actually in Danbury. I did some Danbury games. Wow. And I have some pictures that I actually had brought last time I was at the Mustache Classic, and I had uh. shown uh, some of the guys from, uh, from the Danbury team. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was incredible for me to be a linesman. And uh, there's nothing more exciting than to be a fighter and now be on the opposite side of the fence and to be able to yell, let him go yeah, yeah, when two yeah. guys want to square off, right? So um, it was fun. I always loved coming down here to Danbury because, you know, your fan support down here is huge. And I just like the makeup of the rink, like especially that tier that hangs over the, yeah. the top. You know, it's like you're looking up and there they are. The fans are just hanging over you. Yeah, yeah. It's like being like a prison fight ring or something. But um, I just enjoy the uh, the atmosphere here too. What about... um? Do you, you know, have you watched this team at all? Like, do you get a chance to watch any of the games? I do watch some of the Danbury games. Um, I'm a, f- you know, I'm a, I have to say I'm still a fan of Amesbury because yeah. he's one of the loneliest guys in the league that still <laughs> fights. I mean, I know there's a couple of guys, but, um, you know, I, I enjoy watching Danbury just because um, they have something that, has an interest in me and and like yourself I've, I've gotten to meet some good people down here yeah that's great i mean that that really um i think when you like that brand of hockey it, it, it's one of those it's hard to shake you know what i mean you right. want you want to see that physicality right. and you want to see a kind of the score even at yeah. times but i mean they they played well this year let's face it yeah. i mean with or without physical play they won a lot of games yeah. this year. they yeah. really did really hard to beat at home you know when i was looking at your your elite prospects page you only had that one year in carolina they did win the championship you do have a ring that you didn't bring uh today <laughs> but but what i wanted to ask you was why you know why didn't you go back were you ready to move on from that or what was the what was the story there um, I was kind of in that summer. I, I definitely had the bug. Like I thought that I could make somewhat of a career out of it. Um, and I had talked to Carolina about possibly coming back. They were up in the air about what they were going to do. They were talking about getting a new coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really push hard. I just figured I was grateful for what I had. You know, again, I was just skating on a pond a couple of years earlier. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of just dragged my feet a little bit. I didn't really push because I knew I wasn't, I mean, East Coast League was the bottom of the barrel at the time. There were no other leagues, really. Um, I certainly was going to be able to get up to the next level, uh, which was the American League and the IHL. And so I just kind of floundered around my area. I I did play leagues. I did play hockey in my area, but not at that level. Yeah, yeah. And certainly no fighting. Um, and I got some calls. I got a couple of games with Johnstown back in the uh, East Coast League and um, Cincinnati. I went to their camp. Um, but yeah, it just kind of kind of fell. Did you get AHL games? Yeah, I got a handful. Yep, I got a couple of games in Springfield. I got a game in Moncton, and then I got a handful of games in the IHL out with the Phoenix Roadrunners. So yeah. so I did climb. I did get to the next level. 
And I mean, let's face it, the American Hockey League, it's it's the second best hockey league in the world. Yeah. And uh, so for me to get to that, that, that's my NHL. Oh, absolutely. That was a pretty high. Definitely going from skating on ponds and learning. This, mm. I mean, really, there's, there's um, you know, we've talked about this before kind of privately. There's a layer of truth to the movie. Yes. The fast climb, sure. like from kind of just trying out hockey to playing, that's kind of one of the truths. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, but there's a lot of other fake things in the movie. Like, I don't really like corn dogs. <laughs> and I didn't wear white figure skates to my tryouts. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of silliness, yeah. but I get it. I, I've said this before. It's not the Doug Smith story. Uh, they used my book loosely with the script, and, the, and they came up with their own script. They needed something to sell. You know, one of the things that I know about you is it seems like. Um, you're really honored not only by the movie kind of coming out, but also that they included you in, in you know, different parts of the production. Yeah, I mean, w when I got notified, first of all, that they were buying the rights to our book, Adam <laughs> and I, I mean, we couldn't have been more floored to hear that. And uh, and and you're right, um, Jay Baruchel yes. and um, the, the staff and the team of uh, writers, uh, within a couple of weeks of doing the paperwork of, of, of um you know, transferring the book rights over to them for the purpose of the movie, uh, they reached out and they said, listen, we want you involved. Wow. And I started off kind of like, more like on the telephone as a consultant, you know, because they would say, hey, what would you do in this situation? Hey, uh, what, would you, what would you say to a guy off a face-off? Like, what do you say to get a guy to fight you? Uh, what do you do during your days off? You know, like, do you, do you go golf? Do you drink? Like, what do you do? Um, you know, and they were digging, you know, hey, what's the nightlife? You know, like, do you date girls or you just go to bars get in fights like what do you do so on that aspect I was involved but I did not get into the first movie um, and I didn't expect to like I just figured it was what it was um, when they came out with the sequel movie uh, that's when I got a call from Jay Baruchel who said listen we want you in this movie that's awesome um, you know and he almost apologized for saying basically we wish we had thought of that early to get you in the first one yeah but I get it you know again it wasn't about me uh, they also might not have known how charismatic you are and easy to work. Be, I, I think work the more I yeah, I think the more I talk to the staff and, and guys like you know Sean William Scott who yeah. plays Doug Glad who's supposed to be me, um, I get to know these guys pretty good. And you know, listen, I'm not selling myself here on your show, but I mean, I certainly can blab and talk easily. And so I think Jay said the same thing. Like you know, you got a great personality. We got to get you on the you know on the staff here and get you in the script. You know, so no, it's 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 really funny because, um, you know, I feel like that movie really did give hockey a shot in the arm. I think it got people curious again. I think its run on Netflix has been unbelievable. I mean, it's one of the few movies that I think it's been on there like three years at this yeah. point. I mean, it still runs constantly. Yeah, yeah, on Netflix and and stuff like that. And uh, I saw it in the movie theater in Manhattan the first first mm. time I ever saw it. Yeah. And then the second movie, I was like, this is unbelievable. They're making two movies right. about this. And, um, you know, what? how did your life change after those two movies came out? Because you had a book out there. Yeah, I mean, I had the book. The book's a legit autobiography. And, uh, and the book did very well. It sold well across the entire country, Canada, Europe. I mean, it did very well. One of the, one of the reasons why that book has done well, and I, I think I wanted to say this kind of on the record, is for a long time, if you searched hockey, on Amazon Books, it was really in the top ten. Mm. Like just in search, especially minor league hockey, it was like right, right there at the top. So yeah. I mean, not only was it a great book, but it was a you know it was a unique book. It was something. It was really one of a kind yeah. in many ways. Um, 
So, I mean, I, and, and the book itself, um, like I just said a moment ago, I mean, it sold well. And uh, the title Goon, listen, I didn't consider myself a goon. And uh, we all know that that's just kind of like a, a nickname yeah. given to guys who drop the gloves and Freezing. fight. And for people that have never seen the cover of my book, it's a picture of my face after I get the shit <laughs> beat out of me by one of your local boys there, Frank Bialos. Yeah. And um, so the book would sell itself almost just on the cover, you know. So, again, it did well. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it was, like I said, I think... I remember seeing it on Amazon for the first time, and I was like, this is awesome. This is, because <laughs> there was nothing else like it. You know, like, it's one of those things when you know there's an interesting world out there, you know it exists. I think books are cool, and magazine stories can be cool, and documentaries can be cool because it's in, it encapsulates the whole world. And I think your book, definitely for me, was like such an insight into minor league hockey and the spectacle of it all. And then, you know, like I said, uh, Pat and I, uh, we were roomies down there in Winston-Salem last weekend. And just to kind of see, like, a sliver of what, you know, seeing that, that arena where the Carolina Thunderbirds play and then kind of thinking back to what your experience must have been, you know, in the 80s down there. Yeah. You know, you know I went to Carolina for a visit probably five, six years back. And um, you know, obviously the movie and the book hadn't come out um, long after I had left there. Right. And uh, so when I returned just a couple of years back, um, it was an overwhelming response from older fans who remembered me and wow. new fans who have now found me. And, uh, and just to go to the rink, I was there for a weekend. I watched a Friday and a Saturday night weekend series there. <clears throat> and I met all kinds of fans. I'm telling you, I mean, I met a lot. I mean, you that mustache classic that we do, yeah. we get a lot of people there, right? Get to meet a lot of people. And then we go to the game maybe yeah. that night, um, 10 times that, wow. like just insanity. And just because of the book and the movie and just having my base from Carolina, people feel like there's a connection there, and there is. You, you, I, I don't know what comes to mind. You have any crazy stories from that building playing in those <laughs> colors? It, it sounds like you do. Well, this place was armed to the teeth. They literally had three times the amount of cops that we have at our arena. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it, back in that day, and the nature of the people that lived down there. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative, but I mean, you know, I'm a city guy, and they're hillbillies to me. You know, they're rednecks. But again, they appreciate and they want tough hockey, and um, you know, for me to show up. And do the job that they want to see, that they're paying their hard-earned money. You know, they, they work at the factory and, you know, they pay six bucks for their ticket <laughs> and they want ten beers for, you know, a buck apiece. Well, they want to see a fight, too. So, again, the atmosphere, the fans, you couldn't get any better. Yeah, uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and then, you know, on the topic of us being roommates down there, we... Went to five different barbecue places between us. Was, was there any type of barbecue? <laughs> Did you go out for barbecue? Oh, down God. There? The food down there was really good. Yeah. I mean, it really was. There were a lot of old school diners. Wow. In fact, there's a, I know there's a bunch here in Danbury. Oh, yeah. Um, there's some great diners around here. Holiday Diner. Shout you better get there tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. And um, so, Carol. We'll tell them you're, we'll tell them a celebrity's coming in. <laughs> Doug the Doug. Matter of fact, 10 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you you're go. going to be here tomorrow for the game, right? Ah. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. Um, so, it's, um, you know, Again, it the atmosphere down there, the people. It, it really was a place you could just you'd want to stay there. You'd love to live there. Any good fights? 
Uh, on or off the ice? On. <laughs> Any off ice good ones too? Um, I had a handful of off ice issues. With, <laughs> you know, a couple of people. I would work. I worked part time at a. There was a bar there. It was called the High Low Tavern. It was right along the river, and and I got to work there a couple of nights during the week just for extra money. The owner was a great guy. Um, you know, because I wasn't making a ton of You're money. Bouncing, yeah. Just kind of like being a doorman, checking IDs. But as you can well imagine. There's always one guy who's college had a couple kids. of drinks. College kids have a few drinks, and they figure out who you are, <laughs> and uh, you know they want to take a shot at you. A few and, testers, huh? Yeah, and like I've said, I had a lot of good workouts out in the parking lot. <laughs> I never said no to anybody. Oh man! Uh, well, I just didn't want to discourage them. That you know, if you challenge someone, then you need to back it up. Yeah. Wow. So, good. parking lot stuff, huh? <laughs> Jesus. It looked like that we didn't get out like we wanted to. There was a little bit of miscommunication on the on the go out. Uh, early, uh, early in the trip, but uh, we—I would have liked to have seen kind of, because mm. there was a really cool looking tiki bar or something <laughs> that was right next to the right next to the uh, stadium yeah. there between the stadium and the hotel. I don't know if they had that back in the eighties. Oh man, it might it, not have been a thing. It was something. Was um, was Wake Forest like right out the, the yeah, facilities? Yeah, they were right next to us. Yeah, that's right next to the us. The baseball stadium yes. is right there yep. now, you know, yep. and the football stadium too. Mm. Yeah, but that was something. Yeah, Wake Forest. We we got a lot of the F kids that would come out for games. You know, they, they were a big part of the fan support. You know, and again, I mean, kids, they want to see rough and tough hockey, right? Oh, yeah. So. Definitely down there. The fans down there, again, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of static on Facebook, but the fans down there were great. Yeah. yeah just fantastic. Oh, they weren't bad. They, were just, they were just excited, and, and they were amped yeah. up, and they wanted to just see that style of hockey. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's great to have you down here. I appreciate you coming down to, mm-hmm. this, to the show, but, you know, I think you're here because you just love hockey. You love being around the spectacle. I had a feeling that if the, I had a feeling that even if it wasn't Carolina, you might show up for the championship. I, I wanted to at least catch a game yeah. down here. Obviously, I mean, again, like we said earlier, um, you know, you and I, we've we've become good friends over the last couple I of years. That. And uh, your mustache classic is literally one of my favorite charities I do. And um, through and, a, through a lot of thanks to you, bro. Well, I'm just saying, but I, and I enjoy it, and I enjoy all the guys that volunteer and help out and support it along with us, right? Oh yeah. There's an army of guys that help out 100% and um, you know so again over those last few years I've gotten to meet and, and got to know so many people in the Danbury hockey family yeah and you're right I did want to come down to at least a game and and check one out whether Carolina was in it or not yeah and um, this is just for me it's twofold that I get to see two teams that I, I do like unbelievable Doug Thanks so much for coming in. This is really great to have you on here. You're a legend, and I've said it a hundred times. You should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame as a contributor. Well, we'll see what happens. I know they <laughs> I'll have call a, in they, a few favors. Yeah, cause... They, they have a media section. Maybe I'll get in with the book. <laughs> Doug, thanks for coming on. Okay, man. boys. Thank you very thank much. You. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the 27th episode of Hattrick City. And we had number 27, Corey Anderson, on the show. Bada bing. We, 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 that was definitely planned. We definitely didn't come upon that just now but as always we thank you guys for listening and we look forward to tonight's game and we hope to see you there yeah we do this is a big one let's go get it dan barry let's let's show them what it's all about last night i don't think that they like the taste it left them so let's do it again